So Zach, uh, tough, tough game today, huh? What what'd you what are your feelings on the game? Uh, do we do we have to talk about this Zach, right now? Zach, at this, at this point in time, stop trying to deflect the question. Uh, I see what you did there. Deflection, right? You know? Yeah, yeah. You know what? But it's still it's it's still one deflection less than what Chelsea experienced today. Uh, at least at least Rudy. Well, I mean, way it was two more because there's two deflections in that first goal. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, two deflections. Yeah. Never seen any like that was like a ping pong. I mean, sorry, pinball machine. Uh, bouncing between those two bumpers in the in the middle, and then just went straight into the goal. That's like those are two of the most uh, painful moments in all of gaming history. Honestly, that goal and then that moment in pinball. You know, I don't know. I don't know what was more irritating: the fact that it pinballed fifty times before <laughs> it went in, or the fact that Monreal celebrated like he scored a worldie. He played, you know, he, he played like worldie kind of game. Honestly, he played really well. But... Yeah, he's he's quality, but we'll get he's still that. an Arsenal player. Yeah, we'll get into that uh, after we get into this uh, the Brighton and Hove game because that one is a little bit more of a, a positive talking point that we can get on. What a fantastic occasion that match was, wasn't it? It was it was great timing. Honestly. Yeah, it was. It we could not have come at a better time. We needed it. So um, obviously Chelsea four, Brighton and Hove Albion zero. So. I mean, last week we talked about this some, the return of the 3 4 3. And uh, for this match, at least, it was back and better than ever. Um, I think, with all due respect to Brighton, um, we were completely dominant. I, I didn't really feel threatened. I mean, I think the back line had a little bit of a sketchy outing, but overall, it was, it was a pretty solid match. And it was a quick start. I mean,. That second goal was just case in point. So why, you know, we should be starting off with a three-four-three. Like that is, I mean, I mean, what, what were your feelings when that when that goal went in? Oh, the Willian one. Yeah. The oh second my goal. god. Okay, so I I I jumped out of my seat. I I mean I don't know how else to like put it, but I mean you you saw William pick up the ball around half field and then. Make a couple of nice passes, and then the ball kind of ping pong between him, Eden, and and Batshuayi, who actually did really well, um, in terms of like his vision. Um, yeah, I think he made a no look pass on that one. I mean, it was just yeah. pretty much like five or six one touch passes between the three of them, and uh, you know, just laid it off. I think it was Batshuayi laid it off to William, who just you know smashed it in the back of the net. The finish, I think the finish was definitely uh, the, the highlight of that play because oh, yeah. Willian still had a lot to do. He kind of smacked it with like this, you know, he just, he swung his foot almost across the ball. So it had this weird backspin and it was, it was almost curving um, into the near post. So a beautiful finish, but like, I, I want to talk about Willian most, mostly in this game because I mean, the guy's a game changer and, and Hazard um, alluded to it post-match and said you know i don't know if he was taking shots at conte or anything but he said like we don't need a striker we have enough firepower <laughs> then he went on to talk about how willian was his favorite person to play with up top and how you know they have this great chemistry together and rightly so i mean they've been teammates for god knows how long um but i mean yeah we have two elite wingers um in willian and hazard and you know even though pedro was out we still managed to create tons of chances with Batshuayi in the squad, who I actually thought had a pretty good game, but 
Yeah. Yeah. We we need to see Willian more. Hopefully, this injury that he that he suffered in the Arsenal match isn't too too bad. Um, yeah, because I mean, we'll get into it when we talk about that match. But I mean, when once he left the field, it was a completely different match. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's he's been absolutely on fire as of late. He's been directly involved in seven goals in the last uh, in his last five Premier League starts. Um, that's four goals. Sorry, three goals and four assists. So when you know we're talking about switching back to the three four three, I mean, do you prefer him? Pedro or uh, Fabregas in the lineup as another creative outlet for uh, Hazard and Morata as the other two. I think if we're going after teams um, who are significantly weaker than us, I think it makes sense to leave Sesk out of the lineup. Um, just mm-hmm. solidify our midfield and let our front three kind of run free. Yeah, um, because I mean, it, like we we also I think the past couple games with uh, Bakayoko playing in the two man midfield, and I think that has been the right balance of uh, the type of play that he's accustomed to, especially, you know, coming from Monaco and, like, the system that they played there. Um, I think that, you know, playing the 3-4-3 is kind of perfect, um, especially, you know, with Willian's style of play addition. Um, you know, and I think Ross Barkley kind of looked good today, but, um, you know, I'm really happy with Bakayoko's performance this past weekend, honestly. Or this past yeah. Week. Yeah, yeah. Really surprising, honestly. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I think I think Bakayoko playing in midfield two is it, it it almost makes him play simpler, um, and it doesn't ask him to do too much, right? Um, mm. He was doing the running for two players in in Fabregas and, and himself, um, and you know he was obviously splitting that workload with N'Golo Kante, who could handle that type of thing. But Bakayoko's still young and a little bit naive, so we can't really rely on him to do that too much. But I think putting him in a midfield too is very similar to what he played at Monaco, like you said. Um, you know, he plays simpler passes, he plays more zonal, and uh, and he's a lot more aggressive in the, in, in, in the tackling. And, and that's something that that's something that we haven't seen, honestly. I'd say since like late November, um, right before he had his dip in form, and when fans started to jump on his back, like, look, he's still very young, and and he's only going to get better as time goes on. And I think, you know, when we move on to the Arsenal game, we'll talk about his performance today. Um, which I think was equally, if not better than the Brighton performance. Um, but yeah, I think he looks really good in this 3-4-3. And to be honest, I think whenever we do play this, I think him and N'Golo should always be the first two options, um, in our midfield. It should always be N'Golo plus one, but Bakayoko is definitely making that position his in a 3-4-3. Yeah. I think the consideration is, is moving a little bit towards him. Um, so Let's talk a little bit about Eden Hazard because um, he played, according to Hootscore.com, uh, pretty much a perfect match. He was rated a 10 out of 10. Um, I mean, in my eyes, I think he was a 10 out of 10 as well. I mean, scoring two goals for us and, you know, two chances that really he created, like, from outside of the box and bringing the ball in and making the decision to, you know, not necessarily lay it off, which is something that we've seen him do a lot. Yeah, he has, he does have this tendency to kind of overpass. Yeah, and you know he he decides to look up and take the shot, and both times just you know going in and you know it just it, he just looks natural doing that kind of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you look at his stats; they don't lie. I mean, he led the Premier League in in completed dribbles this week. He had eight completed dribbles in one match, which is insane if you're looking at um. If you're looking at it from a statistical point of view, three key passes, 
And the thing I liked the most about him was he had 92 touches. Um, that's about a touch a minute. And to be honest, that's exactly what we need him to do if we want to be a force on the European stage. Um, he was involved, man. And, and you know, the thing I like about him is that he, he drifts into spaces where he sees weaknesses in the other team that he could expose. And when he does that, he becomes very, very dangerous. Um, obviously like his main criticism, and I think every Chelsea fan could agree with me is that sometimes he gets kicked out of games. Like he picks up a knock early in the match mm -hmm. and will kind of fade off, but there were plenty of chances for him to fade off in this game. Brighton was, you know, by no means, uh, not physical, right? Like, like they're a very physical side and, you know, any team that comes from the championship is going to be like that, but it was just really good to see him step up in the absence of, you know, um, our other main playmaker in Sesk and, our primary goal scorer and Morata being out. And, you know, it, it, it was very, very refreshing to see. I think this is the type of performance that he needs to have um, if he wants to be considered world-class. I definitely um, agree. And, um, you know, I just want to make one last quick uh, talking point on this game because I really want to get into this Arsenal match because I think there's there's a lot more talking points with that. But Charlie Musando um, played only mm -hmm. 10 minutes, but... In those 10 minutes, he did a lot. 10 touches, 8 out of 8 passes, a uh, through ball, a uh, key pass, which uh, includes that one assist for the Victor Moses goal. Um, are you impressed with what you've seen? This is – he's a very, very interesting uh, player because, you know, we, we talk about, like, the mystery behind Batshuayi and how, you know, how he doesn't factor into this Chelsea squad because his style of play doesn't suit us. I think Musanda's style of play is almost tailor-made for a 3-4-3. Absolutely. He's very interchangeable. He could play the number 10. He could play out wide. He's really good at taking defenders on one-on-one. -on -one. And that's something that I noticed in this match. When he picks up the ball and he faces up a defender, he is a very, very confident and uh, mercurial dribbler. Like He could get past almost anybody in, in the blink of an eye. That that first step he has is very similar to uh, Willian or, or Eden Hazard that we always talk about. Um, but yeah, I mean, he came on, he looked good. Granted, it was Brighton and the game was already 3-0, but, but by no means was that through ball to Victor Moses an easy pass to complete. You know, he, he picked it up around midfield, took a touch, picked his head up and just lofted like a perfectly weighted ball right into the path of Moses. And that's, that's, that's very encouraging. And, and it's kind of confusing to me why we haven't seen more of him this season. And, you know, I know I mentioned it, um, you know, in one of our earlier episodes before the season started, and I'm I'm kind of disappointed that we haven't got a chance to see him put in more valuable minutes. I mean, after performance like that, I don't know what it's going to take uh, for Antonio Conte to have more trust in him. I mean, he, he didn't put him in until it was we had the game pretty much in the bag, and um, you know that just shows that he doesn't trust him. And you know, I think a lot of Chelsea fans thought that we might see him make an appearance uh, in the EFL match matchup uh, against Arsenal today. But, you know, since he, he was held out of uh, the youth squad uh, yesterday, so um, there was a lot of speculation that he'd be making an appearance. It turns out he'd even make it to the bench. Um, so um, we'll, let's get into that game um, as much as I really don't want to because uh, this is just another, you know, the draws. Those were bad enough, knowing that we have yet to beat Arsenal this season. But um, this one was definitely just like a dagger in the heart. 
Yeah, yeah. That, finally. It, it really was. So, I mean, I guess we'll just go into the starting lineup because I was actually kind of pleased to see uh, Conte, you know, opt with this. I mean, granted, there were a couple of players that I would have swapped out, but we have Caballero in goal, Courtois still injured, um, Dave, Christensen, and Rudiger in our back line. Um, Bakayoko and Conte partnered alongside each other again with uh, Alonso and Moses as our wingbacks. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. And then we got a uh, uh, Pedro, Willian, and Hazard. Hazard playing the false nine role. Um, I mean, I think it's obvious. The first 10, 15 minutes of this game were ours. Um, I mean, we carved them open within six minutes or seven minutes, right? I mean, we could have had two goals. Um, yeah, we could have. Will- Willian was in. Yeah, if it weren't for Pedro's just being offside by a little yeah. bit. Um, Pedro's offside too. But, um, you know, I, also just a note, um, Sesk and Murata uh, both were out because of injury. So mm-hmm. they weren't even options in this game. So, um, you know, I, we'll, sorry, go ahead. I, I, I want to talk about Bakioko's performance because I think we should start with something positive. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, talk about it. My, my my first half analysis of him, and, and, and I immediately started writing notes after the first half. I usually don't type up anything until the game is over. Um, but, you know, he was everywhere, man. And I thought on a day where N'Golo Conte didn't look like he was at his best, um, Bakioko definitely picked up the slack in the midfield. I, I, I noticed something interesting that Conte did, and it was very sneaky, and it actually kind of worked. He was actually having N'Golo Conte doing most of the pressing. And Bakioko was actually sitting back and just kind of playing free safety in the sense that, you know, if someone was to beat N'Golo Kante, Bakioko was at second line of defense. Um, he, he was great, you know, everywhere on the pitch, throwing in tackles, um, tracking his runners. He's finally using his athletic ability to his advantage, which is great because when he's at full speed, dude is fast and, and he could definitely get around the pitch. He's very mobile. And, and we saw that on display today. And like I said earlier, I just think him and Angola are going to get better with time. Um, and, and, you know, when he does play in the midfield too with Conte, he, he tends to use his abilities to his advantage. I notice he does play the simple pass a lot more. He doesn't try to dribble three or four defenders and, 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 and you know, attempt a, a through bar or a cheeky layoff. Instead, he controls the ball, he picks his head up, and he immediately finds one of our wingbacks. Or he continues to run a play by playing it back to Rudiger with one-touch passing or Christensen with one-touch passing. And, it just he looked like he was so much more confident um today more than i've seen more than i've seen him you know to be honest all season yeah really um, all season yeah um yeah i mean i i pretty much i kind of spoke a little bit about it in the in the last match but you know that was kind of, that was kind of like an aggregate of how i felt he played in the past two matches um mm-hmm. but you know i think that it the one issue i have with having a two man um two-man midfield with N'Golo Conte and Bakayoko is, you know, it's now, now your midfield man, pretty much your center attacking mid is N'Golo Conte, you know, because he's pressing up and, you know. He's a much better, he's a much better distributor than, than Bakayoko too. Yeah, I mean, but, but I think that it, it does hurt a lot as far as creativity from the midfield when N'Golo mm-hmm. Conte is the guy who's pressed up the highest, um, you know, even though we do have a lot of creativity on the wings. Um, it's, I, 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 think, I, I, think, uh, I just think that having, you know, like Fabregas in there just changes the team up so much more. Yeah, yeah. You know, Fabregas does change the game, but you got to look at it in terms of 
you know, in, in, in terms of defense, to be honest, like, I think Bakioko, Fabregas, and Conte just does not work. I think we've seen it enough this season um, to the point where I think Conte could just kind of put that one under the rug and say, you know what, I think we'll only use that when we're chasing games because Fabregas is a liability in that midfield. What I'm curious to see, um, and, and, and just to throw this out there, I am not in any way bashing Cesc Fabregas, um, but I, I'm really curious to see a 3-5-2 with Conte, Bakioko, and Ross Barkley, because after we saw Barkley today, you know, we knew he's a body, um, we knew he's physical, we know he's athletic, we know that he could stick a foot in and, and put in a hard tackle every now and then. And I just think having another mobile midfielder in the middle of the pitch, especially a creative one that could get up and down and support the attack, would be really interesting to see, you know, how that pairing works out with Bakioko and Conte. So that's something to look out for in the future because you know, so far since he's been signed, Conte has only had good things to say about Ross Barkley. I don't think there's any signs pointing to Conte possibly not favoring him or uh, Conte not even wanting him on his wish, on his wish list because, I mean, we talked about his, his price before. It's a bargain for that, for that type of player, especially that quality. Yeah. Um, I want to, you know, stay on the bright note, but it's kind of ends up not being such a bright note in the end, but. You know, when we had William in um, for the first, I think he got hurt and had to leave in like the 26th minute or something, 25th. But um, I think when he was when he was in, um, you know, you alluded earlier, Hazard was talking after the Brighton match and he says, you know, how much he loves playing with William and, you know, he has that chemistry with him. And, you know, he's not wrong after all. They've been, these guys have been playing with each other for years. So, you know, they've developed a chemistry together. Mm. Um, but we just completely lost our cutting edge in this match uh, after he got taken out. Um, you know, with Conte electing to put in Ross Barkley and mm-hmm. playing him out of position, it seemed like he had him play on the wing. And um, you know, I think that what the right move would have been was to stay in the three-four-three that we looked so good in, and um, you know, put in Mishi Bachuai to be, to play as a striker. And push uh, Eden Hazard to his more, you know, the position he's even more comfortable playing. Uh, put him, yeah. uh, push him out to play uh, as a winger. And um, but you know, Conte electing to put in Ross Barkley, making his debut, and like you know, within the first like four minutes, he, <laughs> I don't know, whatever first five minutes of him playing, he got knocked up like four different times. You know, he's mm-hmm. and that's coming back from an injury, but um. You know, I, I think he did play pretty decent, Ross Barkley, but um, he just had a lot of uh, issues, I think, on set pieces. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, don't even get me started on that. Like, if you're a listener of the pod, like a regular listener, you know that one thing irks me more than anything, and it's a horrible set piece delivery. And by that, I mean short corners and corners that don't even beat the first man. And I think he took three or four corners in this match, and none of them were quality. And, you know, this is exactly what happens also when we don't have Fabregas. I mean, Fabregas is the guy delivering the corners and the free, you know, the set pieces, and he he doesn't do many corners like Ross Barkley did the last couple times, honestly. Why doesn't – what I'm curious is is why Hazard doesn't take more set pieces. Yeah, he did. It, he, he took a couple, but he, he gave up that – to Barkley a couple times. Yeah, but but what I don't understand is that Ross Barkley is he, he's a 
I mean, he's not small by any stretch of the imagination. So, I mean, get him in the box. Get your biggest bodies in the box. Yeah. Have your little guys play on the outside. And, you know, on set pieces especially, have one of your small guys take the corner. Like, to be honest, I wouldn't even mind if, if Aspie took the corner um, because, you know, his deliveries all season have been phenomenal. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, going back to Ross Barkley really quick because I do want to mention something. Um, one thing that I noticed that I think could benefit the team a lot is is his work rate. Like, you know, he's a, he's a player who didn't – you know, have too much playing time this season. He kind of had a falling out with Everton, as we all know. Um, but yeah, he's he's a guy who needs to prove himself. And, you know, he, he's going to look at the manager when the manager selects him, and he's going to work his ass off to the best of his ability. And I thought that, you know, in terms of movement and work rate, I think he put in a shift today. Um, I still think he, he lacks a little bit of match fitness, which is, you know, I mean, that's okay. He's coming off of an injury. And, oh, yeah. You know, he's still adapting to the system, so he tended to drift in and out of the game. But towards the end of the match, you know, he tucked in. It looked like we were playing a 3-5-2 for a little while, and he was playing a number 10. And he started linking up play and breaking up play, especially. I think there's a lot to look forward to. And, you know, we talk about, you know, missing a goal-scoring midfielder. And Ross Barkley could definitely uh, be an answer to that if he fulfills, you know, um, all his potential with the team. So, yeah, a, a, a lot to look forward to. And honestly, I, I hope we see him again this weekend at Newcastle. I think uh, you saying that he had trouble adapting or, uh, you know, he still he still needs to adapt to our style is a little bit of an understatement. He was getting probably most of his instructions when he was taking off his, like, his warm-ups getting ready to come in. I mean, mm-hmm. that was probably 90% of his knowledge of our system came in that, like, five minutes. <laughs> well, if, well, if you noticed, I think uh, Conte put him on the right side of the 3-4-3 in the first half, and he was on the far side of the pitch away from Conte. And after about maybe 10 minutes or so, Conte actually had him switch with Hazard. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, with, with Pedro, excuse me. And Ross Barkley came over to Pedro's side, and Pedro switched to his side, which made... Barkley that much closer to Conte, so he could kind of give him a step by step. Like, I think. Uh, I, that, I, do you think that's why? Conte is the epitome of a manager that literally kicks every ball on the pitch and throw and and throws in every single challenge. Like, that's just that that's almost his bread and butter. And you know, being a coach myself, like I could understand that sentiment completely. Like, you want the team to play a certain way, and you, and you know, sometimes you got to kick every ball. Um, and, you know, I just thought it was funny. And going back to him, because, you know, I said earlier that Conte does only say good things about Barkley. I, I can't stress that enough. I genuinely think Conte favors him. Like, I really, really think Conte is pulling for him this time. Um, and we haven't seen that much with, you know, the recent transfers that we've brought in. Like, you know, we brought in Danny Drinkwater. I don't think that had anything to do with Antonio Conte's wish list, to be honest, because you know, although he has put in some solid performances, um, he, Conte really hasn't given him much game time. Um, so, you know, it's something to look out for. I think Barkley's going to come good eventually. And, you know, for 15 million, if he sucks this year and, and he doesn't pan out, even in two or three years time, you know, in today's market, we could, we could sell him for a profit. Yeah, um, um, I really want to move on, to, uh, to our wing back play. Cause mm-hmm. I think that, um, we got pretty much overrun. <laughs> I want yeah. to, let's start off with let's start off with Victor Moses, um, because he, I mean Alonso was I mean, against Bellerine. Moses was was playing against Alex Iwobi for a lot of the match, and 
um, with Moses. Moses is a natural winger. Okay, he's not a natural wing back. Mm-hmm. He couldn't get back. He sorry, he couldn't get past Alex Iwobi, like who's who is doesn't know a thing or two. Doesn't have a defensive bone in his body. I don't think. Um, and he just looked awful. I don't know what was going on. I I actually uh, disagree with you there. Like I think Wenger deploys Alex Iwobi, especially against us. Um, because he's just a ball of energy. Um, he's very similar to Victor Moses in the sense that he just works his ass off until he can't run anymore. And they're, um, they're both and, Nigerian, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're both of Nigerian descent. So, you know, obviously both of them are going to be up for that, you know, playing against, like, your fellow countrymen. But, yeah, Victor Moses for me, and, and, and you have to look at it in hindsight – Last year, Antonio Conte basically worked a miracle by playing him at right wing back. Like he he converted him to a wing back for one season as a stopgap. And I think asking Moses to do it again um, and to put in the same level of performance two seasons in a row is asking a little bit too much out of him because of his strengths. And you know when when Victor Moses senses any sort of threat, um, especially from the other team. He tends to drop off immediately and as deep as our back line. And that prevents us from getting up the pitch. Um, Antonio Conte talks about it all the time. Our main outlet and our main uh, means of getting up the field is by playing out wide and by using our width and our wing backs to press high up the field and not let the other team out. And when Victor Moses gets threatened, he kind of just, he almost reminds me of a snail. He just kind of crawls back into his shell and just, gets really, really deep um, and drops really deep into our back line. And today I thought he struggled, you know. That's a great way to put it. The the first half, I thought our wingers were doing a good job, and I even texted you this. I thought we were doing an awesome job pressing them high. And, you know, the the game was almost a seesaw. Like Arsenal would have the the edge for five or ten minutes, and we would have the edge for five or ten minutes. But for me, you know, it's not sustainable when you have a guy like Victor Moses out wide um, especially because you can't really depend on him defensively. Um, I thought he looked exposed, and I thought, you know, because he looked exposed, Aspi was drawn out, and, and they had a couple chances. That double save Caballero made in the first half, you know, completely bypassed Victor Moses. Aspi got caught in an, on an island in between two Arsenal players, and they just literally walked around him and had, and you know, had a had a route clean through goal. And I I don't know why Conte doesn't give Zapacosta another chance. Um. He torched Arsenal when when we brought him on as a sub last time. Um, he provided the assist for Marcus Alonso, and you know he has pace. He's very direct, more so than Victor Moses. And unlike Victor Moses, Zapacosa actually likes to cross the ball. Or <laughs> Victor Moses just you know tries to beat two or three players and you know gets tripped up or loses it or something. You know, I'm not bashing Moses by any means. Like you know, he's been a good servant and. His value is completely understated last year, but I just think it's time to rotate the squad a little bit. I I think he has this sort of default 11 that he just kind of sticks with, and it's very predictable. And Chelsea's predictable when that happens because Marcus Alonso doesn't cross the ball a lot. Victor Moses doesn't cross the ball a lot either. And I think to complement Alonso's play, because I do think he's more important than Moses, you need a wing back that could cross. And case in point is Zapacosa's cross against Arsenal last time we were at the Emirates. Beat his man. Took it right down to the sideline, played a beautiful ball across the box, and Marcus Alonso was there to tap it in. Like that is a viable attacking option if Zapacosa would get more playing time. 
and that's it's very very confusing to me but you know i guess i'm just kind of venting now uh, true or false would do you think victor moses would be in the premier league still if he was just a little bit slower if he was a little bit slower yeah because i think that yeah he he get, his speed is the only thing that keeps him up, like, you know, with, with Chelsea, I think. Yeah, his physicality is, you know, I, I don't think it's just his speed. You know, Victor Moses is actually a pretty big guy. Like, he's he's pretty strong for his size. Yeah. Um. No, I, I, here's the thing. I think Victor Moses is a smart player because at times he looks like a, almost like a world beater and Conte looks like a genius. But if he's not playing his absolute best, he looks like a waste of space. And you know, it, it's frustrating from a Chelsea point of view because you know he's not a wing back, so you do give him the benefit of the doubt whenever he gets selected. At least I do. Um, but we have a natural wing back on the bench, mm-hmm. and you know, considering that Moses did play at the weekend, he looked tired today. Like he just didn't look like he was up for it. I think Moses is the type of player that you play for a game or two, and then you give him a rest. Yeah, yeah, I definitely rotate. Yeah, it goes I, down to man management by Antonio Conte. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I mean, you know, it's, I think a, a big issue though was that with this with this game we weren't creating really any chances. Um, I mean, throughout the whole entire game, two shots on target. Like I repeat, ninety minutes of football, we had two shots on target. And, and to be honest, they only came in the first like fifteen twenty minutes. Yeah, and, and to be honest, Arsenal's defense was there for the taking. I know I sound like a broken record because he played them three times in the last two weeks, but like Kosciani is just—he was a mess today, and and the fact that we exploited him for the first goal, you know, told the whole story. Um, but 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 we just couldn't create again, and that that partly goes down to you know the substitution to bring Ross Barkley on, um, especially as a as a as one of the players in the front three. Um, but, you know, like, I just don't think he was ready for a big match like this. You know, I know we talked about all the good things we saw, and, and that's great. And I'm still very high up on him. I, I ranted about him for 20 minutes earlier, but why wasn't Musanda on the bench? Like, I, I, that's, it's that literally... Fath- it, I can't fathom why. It's, it, it's, it's literally like for like. You know, William comes out, he gets hurt. Musanda could deputize. You know, his, I, mean, I think honestly, and I think the one thing that makes me more upset about the whole situation is that um, I think I knew from the beginning that we wouldn't be taking out any of our center backs, and he didn't. He played all three of them the whole game, and yet David Luis and Cahill are both on the bench when you really need just one of them uh, to just bring one on, and Lusanda still not making it to the bench for this game. I think I think he had David Luiz on the bench, and this is this is something that you know maybe some people on Twitter could. Uh, this is something people on Twitter could you know debate about because I think it is a good talking point. Going back to Danny Drinkwater, I don't think Antonio Conte trusts him completely. So if we were going to be sitting on a one nil lead or a two one lead, I think David Luiz would have just slotted into the midfield, and boom, we go into a three man midfield and just see the game out. Um, obviously, that didn't happen, but. Going back to Masanda, it's it's for William. It's almost like for like they're not the same exact player, but they have the same qualities. They could beat men. They could beat players one on one. They both have tons of energy. Um, they're both creative players who could you know interchange with both Hazard and Pedro up top. Stick with the game plan, and I just think Conte wasn't prepared for Plan B should one of his front three go down in the first half. 
Um, I think in Conte's head, he had the front three playing about 70 minutes or so, us getting a one or a, a one no lead or a two no lead, and then pulling one of them off, throwing Batshuayi on, and seeing the game out. Um, but clearly that didn't happen. Um, you know, I, I know it's not in a script, and I gotta mention it. And I, I think Antonio Conte's only beat Arsene Wenger once in what eight appearances in in, in eight yeah. matches since he became manager. And as much as I hate to say this, like, I think Wenger does have one up on Antonio Conte. Um, mainly because Wenger's willing to adapt. And I know a lot of times people talk about that being a huge downfall of his and a pitfall of his, but I mean, he's not afraid to make changes. And they played 4-3-3 at the weekend and they, they played a pretty solid match and Wenger opted to go with the same exact lineup. Granted, Antonio Conte did the same thing. Um, but, he made major personnel changes. He pulled Batshuayi out of the lineup, who I thought had a pretty good match against Brighton. Um, look, it's it's frustrating. It's irritating. But again, it's the EFL Cup. And I know I sound like the biggest hypocrite because I was going off and defending this trophy a couple weeks ago to you. Um, but now that we're out of it, I think we should put all of our focus on the Champions League and the FA Cup and you know qualifying for a Champions League spot. So yes, for fixture congestion, look at the bright side. You know, that that's one less fixture that we have to have. Um, you know, I don't know if it's gonna be midweek or on a weekend, who knows, but I mean if we won, it would have been one extra game. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> grant granted it was a cup it's it's a cup final against Man City, so you know the odds would have been a stack stacked against us regardless, for one. And two, it's against Man City, man, like we're going to be putting in a shift that match and that that match is going to be physically and mentally exhausting. And you, you know, when like when we play uh, around the time we play Barcelona, um, like within like three or four weeks, we play man, I mean, sorry, we play man city and Barcelona two times each um, within that like four week span. So, I mean, adding another one against man city probably is not a good idea. That would, it's going to be, we have a tough, rough like patch of a schedule coming up soon yeah and you know we we talked about it before like this january slash holiday period was going to be you know our uh not our not our resting period but a time where we could just kind of stack up the wins and earn as much points as possible before we start facing the big boys because our schedule is very weird all the big boys we play in such a short span of time and then we play all the mid to lower table teams during the holiday period, and then it's right back to the big boys, and now throw Barcelona into the mix, you know. Yeah, it's tough. What 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 I don't understand, and I've ranted about this so many times, Sam, and it just drives me fucking mad. We've won the league title two times in the last three years. Why the fuck do we not strengthen strengthen our title winning sides? Like we already have a leg up on the opponent by winning the title. Let's add another major piece to to the side. Just to mix the pot a little bit and make teams rethink the way they play us. Like, it, 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 it makes no sense to me. Like, I know you hate Man United, but Sir Alex was very good at this. After they'd win a league, he'd go out and he'd buy one new player to slot right into his starting 11 to challenge for a spot. You need to keep that it within the squad. Like, that competition factor needs to stay there because I think a lot of our players are getting complacent. I think a lot of our players are getting leggy, and our squad depth is garbage. And I think today was case in point. We didn't have a plan B. We didn't have a plan C. We had two center backs on the bench. And it just it, – it, it absolutely baffles me why 
the board haven't supported Conte the way he deserves to be supported. He won you the league title last year with a, a, a half-ass makeshift squad. Let's be honest, we did not have the best squad last year. From top to bottom, we were nowhere near the best squad in the league. No. But we still somehow managed to win the title. That's due purely to the manager's genius. And this season, we did not support him in a transfer window. We All we did is sell some key players and replace them, but we didn't add any new pieces. And this is just something that drives me absolutely mad. And, you know, a lot of dead weight that was sitting on our roster didn't even shift. You know, Batshuayi was probably the most obvious one. And, you know, I still think there's a player hidden in there somewhere. But why did we move out Nathaniel Chalaba? Why did we send Loftus Cheek on loan? Why do we have... Abraham would have been a great backup striker. He would have been an awesome backup striker. And I know we were texting about this earlier. It just... It baffles me. And, you know, this is something that the board needs to... You know, I, I say it all the time. Like, the board needs to fix it. But they won't. Like, we all know that the board wants nothing to do with, you know, competing with any of the big clubs in a transfer market. Like, I get it. Pursuing Alexi Sanchez, paying him 400 grand a week is fucking nuts. I don't blame the board for not going after a move like that. But, you know, you look at teams like Man City, and they just keep spending money and keep adding quality players to their squad where we're selling quality players and bringing players that are maybe not even the same caliber. Players that aren't even ready, you know, to jump into the squad yet. It's just, it's very confusing. And, you know, by the way, Man City's, they're about to sign Americ Laporte. And yeah. let me tell you something. If you haven't seen that guy play, just watch a couple YouTube videos of him. That is an absolute game changer. And that just makes Man City that much stronger. These guys paid like 90 million pounds almost and between two players in one weekend or just one day they spent over what 250 million on wingbacks over the summer like i get it we can't compete with that but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't still be in the market for a top quality player like you have to spend money nowadays to win trophies and i think chelsea are kind of changing their approach to the whole thing i think we're going after younger players who have a sell-on value like bakioko like ross barkley you know, like 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 Murata. You know, we bought a striker who has no experience in terms of playing a full season as a team's main guy. You know, well, you know, I, another I, young player that uh, Chelsea's looking into, and it looks like he's going to be coming over, is Emerson. Yep, Emerson so, Palmieri. That so, that that's a solid one. Yeah, I mean that that is nice. So, I mean, l- let's let's get into our transfer news uh, a bit now. So it looks like. Uh, Emerson and Jekka are going to be making their way over to London uh, sometime soon. So um, apparently uh, the Blues are working out of the kinks in a deal to bring them both over uh, with, from Roma. Um, uh, the Emerson deal alone uh, is reportedly around 20 million euros. Um, there was talks about possibly including Mishi and uh, putting him on loan. Uh, but, you know, that those those details are still yet to be worked out but um i think the most the most likely uh deal out of the out of every out of all the rumors that were going on about this deal uh is emerson coming over so uh i'm sure a lot of people don't know too much about him cuz uh you know he plays in roma but um you know who is he what 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 is his playing style like so you know 
Emerson obviously he he's he's of Italian nationality, but he was actually born in Brazil. Um, he has dual citizenship. Um, he used to play for Santos when he was younger. Um, and then he went on loan to Palermo where he actually impressed. Um, but they did not pick up his loan option to buy. Um, and then Roma kind of pounced on him. You know, they brought him in on loan. He impressed and unfortunately he suffered a really nasty knee injury, um, which he actually recovered from. But, um, you know, he's, he's a young player. He's 23, he's 5'9", and he's an attacking minded wing back. Um, think of him almost very similar to Victor Moses in the sense that he loves to run at defenders and, and beat a man or two and spray a ball across the box. Um, I think, I think he's going to be a really good addition to the squad. You know, he's going to add pace. He's going to add a lot of flair, creativity, and, you know, just pure work rate. Um, obviously he comes from Syria. So all signs point to this, you know, having some Conte influence. And hey, like, I'm all for it. I think he's tailor made for the squad. I just think the real question that, uh, that, you know, obviously we have to see him play before it could be answered is whether or not he'll challenge Marcus Alonso for a starting berth. Um, definitely, he could definitely give him a rest. Um, but, you know, this deal is as good as done. You know, Kennedy's already out on loan. So there goes Marcus Alonso's backup. Um, so I think, uh, we should see him, you know, come to the club in a couple days. You know, Roma's very good. They have a very good, uh, business plan. You know, they bought him for 2 million in 2016. And now they're about to sell him for 20. So they're about to make an 18 million pound prop or 18 million euro profit in what? A year and a half. So yeah. good business from Roma. I'm sure they have, yeah, I'm sure they have no problem selling them on. They, they brought in Alexander Kolarov. So, you know, he kind of made that left back position his own. Um, and rightly so, you know, he's having a good season. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Emerson, uh, Emerson in a Chelsea jersey. You know, I, I think he has a lot to offer and hopefully, uh, he could bring some, uh, competition within the squad. Now that's the Emerson side. Um, the other side with Jekko, this deal is a little bit more confusing. Um, so looks like Chelsea's still negotiating his release clause. Um, now there's some confusion earlier today whether uh, whether or not the deal was agreed upon. But uh, you want to just explain the situation a little bit better? Yeah. So long story short, um, Roma wants somewhere around 30 million euros for Jekko and Chelsea has a problem with that because he's 31 years old. Um, so right now they're just trying, apparently they're trying to work out the kinks for the deal. Um, there's a couple different ways to look at this whole situation. One is that maybe the board is doing this just to please Antonio Conte. Maybe they're negotiating with Roma, um, seriously negotiating with Roma just to kind of keep a lid on him. Um, or maybe this is actually real and could have some, um, could have some, you know, reality aspect to it in the sense that maybe Jekyll will become a Chelsea player sooner or later. Um, look, if we're going to look at it purely from a football standpoint, I think it's an awesome deal. You know, you're talking about a guy who's a veteran, played in a Premier League before, uh, is very, very physical, great at hold up play. He's a very intelligent striker at Jekyll and, you know, he doesn't really need his athleticism to be effective on the field. And that's why I think he could play. And that's why I think he's doing well in his thirties. Um, coming back to the Premier League would be a good move for him too. You know, this might be his last chance to get a big payday. Um, as a 31 year old, Chelsea usually doesn't hand out contracts longer than a year. So I think if we do bring him in, 
then I shouldn't say, hey, are we really going to spend 30 million pounds on a guy who's only going to be here for a year? Are we going to break our policy? Are we going to give him an 18-month contract, maybe a year and a half? But then again, is 30 million really worth it at that point? Um, I, I still think there are better options out there for us. But, you know, I wouldn't complain if Jekyll did come in. It's a lot better than Peter Crouch or Andy Carroll. Really? You don't think uh, a 37-year-old uh, zebra? Well, I mean, honestly, a zebra. He's more like a. There, I don't, there, even I don't know, think there would be any chance this deal would be happening if uh, Andy Carroll didn't get injured. That's so unfortunate. Um, oh no, the shithead! <laughs> Look, man, like I, 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 I'm all for this Jekko move. Yeah, I, I think we do need to spend money. I just think spending 30 million. For a 31-year-old striker is a little bit too high, and I don't blame Chelsea for being stingy with pulling the trigger on the deal. But I do think that you know, I think we're desperate now, like yeah, especially now that Michi's definitely not in the squad. And so, the, who, yeah, I mean, so, if, if if I think if we bring in Ed and Jekko, if if Bacuai is not included in the in in that deal back to Roma, then. Um, I think it's safe to say that he's going to be gone. I mean, it's even been confirmed by Conte himself that, you know, if we were bringing to, if we were to bring in a striker before the month ends, um, Batshuayi will go out alone. Um, it's you know yeah. there were talks earlier in the in the transfer window about a loan out to Sevilla. Those talks, um, they've quieted down since then. But you know, I think it, it still remains up in the air as to where he'll end up or even you know if he leaves at all. But you know. I think Conte's confirmation today was kind of speaks speaks a lot about the actual situation. Yeah, you know, and he said it very, very. Um, <laughs> he was very straightforward about yeah. it. He said, "Look, if we bring in another striker, Batshuayi is going to go on loan, and I don't sense. blame him." Yeah, and I don't. Yeah, it, it does make sense, and Conte's completely right in saying it too. It's like a player like Batshuayi wants game time. And you know, if he needs to take a loan to get that game time, then why not? You know, develop, get your confidence back. And I'm all for about Chuai alone, especially if Jekko comes in. Um, and you know, for all the haters, um, especially the Chelsea haters, like fuck you. You know, we didn't get Peter Crouch. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I think Peter Crouch talk was fake. Yeah. Oh my god, <laughs> dude, the English media is a fucking joke, aren't they? Like, I thought the American media sucked, especially with all this, you know presidential nonsense but i think the english media is they definitely have one leg up on that who's who's the yeah third, who's the third player that we were rumored on i forgot there was another another tall tall guy um oh ashley barnes from yeah. burnley yeah. <laughs> that's i think that one was the worst out of the three to be honest i saw i saw like i saw a funny tweet it was like the second i saw that rumor there was a comment right under it on twitter and it said he averages 4.4 goals per season. Give me a break. Like, this is not a real likely scenario. Like, come on. It's like, just, it's, it's like, uh, they went to FIFA manager mode and they searched for players and I was like, um, it's like, it's like they, they just went, searched for strength. Yeah. It was That's just it. A striker, a position striker, um, height six, uh, six, four above and, uh, you know. <laughs> And uh, that, and they just came up with this random list. It's like, all right, let's start bidding. <laughs> and all English strikers too, because just because the last two players Chelsea purchased were English, all of a sudden we only go out and buy English players. Yeah, let's, you know, Antonio Conte's hit on a couple of the Italians that he brought in. So, yep. I think uh, Emerson. Hopefully, this is another hit that he's got. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I so definitely I, I hope mean, so. And then I think we can just quickly touch on um, Kennedy. You know, he just you already mentioned him being out on loan, but um, it's he's being sent to Newcastle, and um, you know, Conte kind of gave him the vote of confidence and told him that you know he's gonna be he's gonna put himself into contention for next year because he did mm-hmm. look uh, pretty solid a couple matches that he played for us. Ooh, the nutmeg. Yeah, that. Ooh, that saved the first half of that match. Um, and yeah. then of course, uh, Charlie Musanda. You know, uh, that speculation of you know when he missed that the developmental game that he might start. That speculation has now changed that um, he's he's gonna get transferred. Um, so you know, Chelsea hasn't clarified whether or not he will leave. Um, loaned, loaned, loaned. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, loaned off. But you know, there's a lot of Premier League teams that. You know they're they're looking out for a signature until like for the rest of the season. So, um, we'll see what happens with him. Yeah, I, I'm really curious to see what happens to him. To be honest, I do hope he gets a loan because it's clear that Conte doesn't favor him at this point in time. I hope he gets a loan to another Premier League club and just absolutely lights it up. You know, I, I'm pulling for him because his playing style is just so fun to watch, and I think he has something to offer. So let's uh let's get into these new these match previews. Uh, so. We've got Newcastle coming up. Um, this is the next leg of the FA Cup. Um, so, what do you what do you think about this match? I mean, I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, do we? I mean, Newcastle's a weak side who's struggling for any sort of positive performances. But isn't, that our, isn't that our kryptonite this season so far? So far, it is. But you know, I think uh, I think we might have a little fire lit under our belly after losing to Arsenal yeah, again. You know, I was, was going to actually compare them two together a week side yeah, with, a, you know. with a a stronger side. So you know, I mean, there's not really much to say. I, I, I'm going to go ahead and say Chelsea two nil. Um, hopefully Ross Barkley. Hopefully we got a better glimpse of Ross Barkley and Morata's back and. Hopefully he could bang in a goal and just get his confidence back. The best case scenario, I'm gonna go Chelsea too now. Yeah, I'm gonna go three one. Um, oh, we're gonna concede, huh? Yeah. You're gonna go with a with a uh, Jocelyn goal, or are you gonna go with a? Yeah, Jocelyn definitely. I mean, I think yeah. Caballero stays in goal for another game. Um, he's bound to give up an actual goal, not a not a deflection. Um, so. The next match uh, matchup we have is against Bournemouth. Um, we already we already played them once this season, and uh, you know they're 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 actually twelfth in the table right now. Yeah, they're um, crawling up. You know, it's it, they had a big win against uh, was it against Arsenal? They're not a team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Two one against Arsenal. You know, Bournemouth is Bournemouth is a they're a team on the up and up. You know, they were struggling for a while. And a lot of uh, speculation about Eddie Howe getting fired. Look, I want to say something about Eddie Howe, okay? I think he's one of the best young managers in the league. I'm just going to go out and say it, like, flat out. I think he gets so much out of a squad that has so little. Um, but just a couple notes on, on Bournemouth before we, you know, give our predictions. They're a very physical team, and they love to get a foot in. 38 yellow cards in 24 Premier League matches. I think we have to pounce on that. I think if we get tapped, we have to go flying on the floor. I think everyone needs to learn a lesson from Murata. Um, although I hate that shit so fucking much, but in this match, it's going to be crucial because they have a, they have a rap sheet. Not as much as, uh, Murata does, please, though. 
No, 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 no. Oh my gosh, it's it's very irritating. Yeah. But um, um, they're not good at attacking, but they 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 are very organized. And Eddie Howe has that team playing football. Like they love possession. They love to move the ball, and they got a lot of uh, they got a lot of sleepers on that team. Yeah. So we actually we played them two times this season. Once uh, once in the in league play, and then also we played them in the quarterfinals of the um the EFL Cup, I think. Where we where we had trouble putting them away. Yeah, but we ended up. Uh, yeah, that's where Murata. That was yeah, that was the game where Murata scored that uh ninety first minute goal right after Dan Gosling scored in the ninety. Oh minute. yeah. Um, yep. So, I I'm 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 gonna predict like, honestly, I'm predicting a one nil win from us. Yeah, I I you know we are gonna be playing them at Bournemouth. Um. And their stadium, although it's small, it's very intimate. The yeah. fans are very, very close like, to the pitch. That's kind of an advantage at some point. Yeah, yeah, and you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna be a tough it's gonna be a tough match. I'm I'm gonna go two one. I think I think Bournemouth is gonna nick an early goal, and Chelsea is just gonna light them up from there on. <sighs> I think that's thank, it. Thank God we got through it, man. Because listen, you know. We lost to Arsenal on the Wednesday, and I think the rest of my week is ruined already. But like, like my weekend's over already. Yeah, Zach, I had to sit through a two-hour uh, contracts lecture right after that match, so definitely uh, not a good back-to-back thing for me. No, no. I think we could uh, brush this one under the rug and just move on. Hopefully next week we we notch two more wins under our belt and uh, <sighs> fuck Arsenal, right? Fuck Arsenal. Fuck Arsenal. Um, make sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Twitter. Uh, you know, you guys are more than welcome to email us at RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. Uh, we're also on iTunes. Search Romans Empod, Romans Empod, Romans Empire, uh, a Chelsea FC podcast for iTunes. Again, um, look for us on Twitter, Romans Empire Pod. Check us out. We've had a lot of people, uh, contacting us. We actually had uh, at Chelsea Eric contact us today, and you know he was he asked me about a uh, about our performance today, and said you know is it just bad luck defensively, or did 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 we do something wrong? And you know it, it's good to banter back and forth with you guys, so uh, just keep it up, and you know let us know what you guys think. Keep us in the loop. Um, Sam, you got anything? I think we already said what I wanted to say, and that's fuck ourselves. I couldn't have said it better myself. Fuck Arsenal, and I'm glad we didn't get that shithead Andy Carroll. Until next week, we'll see you guys later, and keep the blue flag flying high.